At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. Amen. Father, we are so grateful for the promise of heaven, and even as we think of that today, as we look at your word and allow its truth to form our not only our thinking but our living, Lord, I, I pray, Father, that we would not return out of this place the same as when we came in. So, Father, allow your word to speak to us. We've experienced worship and declaring our praises of you. We've, we've done as you've commanded by remembering your sacrifice. And now we wait upon you to hear from your word. So speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Thank you. you. may be seated. And thank you, Josh. Thank you, Kevin, for leading us in worship today. Yes, we're so grateful. Grateful for your faithfulness to use your amazing gifts for the glory of Jesus. Love you guys. Well, there's a question that our culture is beginning to ask, and we've heard it asked kind of intermittently through the last uh, few decades. What happens after we die? Now, sometimes culture kind of rages on as if we never will right? That that's kind of, a, kind of a reality that they just deny, right? Let's not even think about that. Let's only think about living. And then something happens that causes them to say, okay, so what happens next? In my years of uh, performing funerals, hundreds of them over the years, I've watched even the most secular of people that refuse to think of anything spiritual through their life. When a close loved one suddenly passes, they begin to ask that question. What happens next? Because surely this isn't the end. There's something in us as humans where we think this can't be it. There was a publishing fad in the, in the um, book publishing world back in, oh, it's probably 15, 20 years ago now, where a number of books were published with that question. Maybe the most familiar that some of you have read is the book, Heaven is for Real, telling the story of a, of a young boy that, was, uh, that experienced death, um, experienced the afterlife, and came back and told the story of what happened. And there was, there was dozens of books like that as people recounted their experience. Disney got into the action and they produced in 19, or 2016 the hit movie Soul to give you an idea of maybe here's, well, here's some artistic idea of what happens next. NBC, not to be outdone, they started their own sitcom called The Good Place about this woman who should have gone to the bad place, but she ended up in the good place, and all the humor that came from 
from that. It's all po- they all became popular because there seems to be this instinctive interest in what's next. And there's also an, an awareness of our ignorance about what happens next. So thus, the question. Well, we're concluding our series that maybe you've seen on your bulletin called Essentials, or if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we're looking at some essential truths and why they matter by looking at an ancient creed that the Christian church has recited uh, for centuries called the Apostles' Creed. And I know that some of you in your church background, this was never something that you even looked at. How many would say that you were, before we, our series, you were kind of unfamiliar with this Apostles' Creed? Would you admit that by raising your hand? Okay, it's okay. You can raise your hand. Okay. All right, so a number of you. How many would say that in your upbringing, you actually memorized the Apostles' Creed? Can I see that hand? All right, several of you, several of you. Well, it begins with a statement of our origin, wherein it all began by saying, I believe in the Father, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So before there was time, there was God. He existed forever. And God, in his wisdom, created the world, heaven and earth. It ends with a statement, which, by the way, this morning is our last in the series, so we're looking at the last statement of the Apostles' Creed. It ends with our end, that our eternal destiny is, is how it concludes. It includes with this statement, I believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen, or amen, according to how some of you say it. Uh, But Christians have confessed this truth uh, for almost 2,000 years. This truth, that resurrection is coming. It seems strange, and it's probably something that you probably don't talk a lot, maybe out there to people that aren't familiar with this concept, because it it just kind of seems a little bit strange. How could somebody believe that if... You die and your body is placed in the ground and you're buried, that after decomposition takes place, that somehow it's going to be resurrected. What about, what about people who are cremated and their ashes strewn across the river or in the mountains or whatever? And we think, yeah, that's just hard to comprehend. So Maybe we'll say it together just amongst ourselves because we believe it, but maybe some people won't won't understand it. And then maybe because of that, you have this thought of, so is it true? Maybe it's good for you to know that followers of Jesus have believed this since the very beginning of Christianity. This isn't something that came up 500, 600, 900, 1,000 years later. This is something that was introduced to us in clarity by Jesus. Jesus, God's son, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
It was Jesus that taught this reality that there is, there will be a resurrection of those who believe in him. Here's what he says in John chapter 5, verse 28. John quotes Jesus as saying this, An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out of the tombs, those who have, gone, have done good to resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Here's what Jesus taught. There will be a resurrection, not just for believers in Jesus, but every single human being. That every human being will be resurrected. Those that believe in him will experience eternal life. Those who don't believe in him will experience eternal judgment. Jesus defined doing good in that verse just a few verses later when he says, He that believes that the Father has sent me will be raised to everlasting life. So since Jesus taught this, the apostles taught it. In fact, as we've, as we've explained previously, the Holy Spirit inspired the apostles to teach Jesus' teaching even with more detail than what Jesus taught when he was on the earth. And so as they taught the teachings of Jesus, they gave us some incredible details about this resurrection. And a really important passage on this topic is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have your devices, I'd encourage you to open that to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to look at five verses, verse 13 through verse 18. It's important to know that Paul, the apostle, is writing to a church in the city of Thessalonica. Paul had gone there on a missionary travel. He had preached in the, first in the synagogues and then in lecture halls, and a number of people came to know Jesus, came to put their faith in Jesus. Paul started a church, a gathering of believers gathered around, but soon persecution came, and because of the severity of the persecution, they sent Paul away because they knew that his life would be cut short if he did not escape. So Paul left. In his mind, and even in our logic, it seems like he left way too soon. It could be that he had only been there three or four weeks. That's way too soon for someone coming to present Jesus, the truth of Jesus to, to leave, and yet he did. Well, he would write these, these two letters that we have, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, as letters to continue to teach them to follow in the ways of Jesus, maybe to cover some things that he didn't have opportunity to teach them. And as you'll see, in some of the letter, the purpose was to correct some things that they had asked him about. And that's what we get to in chapter 4 and verse 13. One of the concerns that the Thessalonian believers had was this question, what happens after we die? Or more accurately, what happens to those who have already died? Are they going to miss out on Jesus' return? They had no doubt that Jesus would return. That was clear. That was at the very heart of all the teachings of Jesus, is that he would return to set up his, his, his eternal kingdom. So they embraced that. But then they have family members or loved ones that believe in Jesus, but then they died. And so their question is, are they going to miss out? Are they, are they like in the group of people that believed, yet they 
died, and so they only get like half of the experience of knowing Jesus. You know, you, you get some wonderful blessings from knowing Jesus right now, don't you? Isn't it incredible that the guidance that you receive from the Holy Spirit? Isn't it great the comfort when you're, when you're uh, filled with sorrow and the Holy Spirit can grant that comfort to you? Isn't it great to know that you can have conversation with God? Just you and him? Isn't it great to know that, that you can walk with him? He goes with you throughout your day. I mean, there's incredible blessings of knowing Jesus right now. But what about those that die? Is that all they get? And so Paul writes these things to help them understand the importance of the resurrection and how it impacts us today. So first, verse 13, we're going to see that Paul says, because of the future resurrection, we can grieve with hope. We can grieve with hope. Verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do have, who, who do have no hope, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So first of all, that term fallen asleep. He uses, Paul uses this phrase as a reference to Christians who have died. You don't think of this as soul sleep. There's, some, there's that theory out there that our souls just kind of go to sleep and waiting for God to do something. There seems to be no indication of a soul sleep but instead, it's almost like our bodies are sleeping because our souls, according to what Paul taught, is, departs from our body at death and goes immediately into the presence of Jesus, apart from the body, but present with the Lord. So our souls are immediately united with Jesus in his spiritual heaven, but our bodies are laid to rest. We use that term, right? We, like, laid to rest, waiting for something better. So believers who have died, Paul refers to as fallen asleep. And then those believers who are with Jesus then, in that spiritual sense, Paul says, you don't, he says, it's really important that you know this. I don't want you to be uninformed. Those that are asleep, those that have died physically, but their spirits, their souls are with Jesus, we don't have to worry or grieve with no hope because when God brings Jesus back like the angel said he would, he will bring with him all those who have died. There's not this sense they're going to miss out on something other than trouble, right? They'll miss out on more trouble on this earth. But they're not going to miss out of any of the splendor that Jesus has in store for them because Jesus will bring them with him when he returns. This is, this is that union with G the death of Jesus, right? Because Jesus died, we will also die. But as Jesus is resurrected, we also will be resurrected. Romans 6 verse 4 says, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If we've been united with him in death, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
So Jesus and his apostles taught that the physical death of believers is not the end. Jesus died, so will we. And there was grief over Jesus' death. There will be grief over the death of loved ones here, even believers. Death is not something that God designed for us to experience. It was a consequence of our rebellion as, as humans against God. There's grief over the death of brothers and sisters in Christ. We do grieve that they're not with us, experiencing some of the beautiful things that we are able to experience on God's wonderful creation called Earth and this universe that he's designed there's crushing grief. And we can admit that. We can admit that there's heartache and there's pain. And we don't need to apologize for tears when we, when we mourn the loss of loved ones. Because it is loss. It is pain. It's not God's original design. And Paul says, but, but, but. As we grieve, we have hope. Now, hope is not, whenever you see that term hope in scripture, it's not like we use the term with, I hope it doesn't rain this afternoon. It's out of your control. You have no idea. It, you know, it's not that empty wish. Hope in biblical terms is a certain expectancy. You're expecting or waiting for something that you are certain is going to happen. So Paul says, as we grieve, we can grieve with the certainty of something that is going to happen. And what is that thing that's going to happen? That those that we grieve, being gone from this life, will come again with Jesus to experience his eternal kingdom with us. Tears and sorrow are real experiences for Christians. We need to allow ourselves to grieve. Allow others to grieve. But death is not final. It's pain with hope. It's a confidence in a future better. It's kind of like the occupation of a surgeon. Have you ever, do we have any surgeons in the midst? Anybody here just get paid to cut people? No? Okay, we can talk about them then. Imagine taking a job, training for years and years and years, so that every day you can go to another human being with a knife and make cuts. Ah! Every one of those cuts will produce pain. Now, we live in a beautiful day, don't we, when there's anesthesia and things, so you're not just biting on a belt or whatever they used to do. Oh, I can't imagine. So they put, it, put the person under, but you know, when that person comes up, what are they going to feel? Pain. Why would they do that as surgeons? Because they have hope. A certain expectancy of that cutting producing something good. That the, that the pain and the suffering that will be involved in the surgery 
will produce a condition that will make all of that pain and suffering worth it. In some sense, that's kind of what Paul is saying to the church of Thessalonica and to us. Yeah, because of sin, there's grief and there's sorrow and there's loss. But here's the beautiful thing, that in the midst of that, we can have the certain expectancy that there is something better coming. And I know we have many here in our midst that you've had a lifelong spouse that's been your life partner. You live longer with them than without them. And even talking about death brings up, it kind of bubbles up that pain again. And I want to say to you, but there's great hope. Don't forget the hope that they're not going to miss out on a thing. Everything good is going to be theirs to experience because Jesus will come again. And with him will be that loved one of yours. With parents whose children have passed. With siblings who miss your brother or sister. We have aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews. We've got dear friends. It really hurts to think of them not being with us. But man, isn't it good to know that we can grieve but not without hope. So Paul says, what happens after we die? Well, really it gets better. Because we will see Jesus in that spiritual state. And when he returns He'll call up our remains in that incredible miracle. However he's going to do that, I have no idea. There will be an organic reality to that resurrected body, but kind of like an apple seed. Have you, ever, have you ever looked at an apple seed and compared that to a tree, the apple tree, and say, huh, how has this become that? That's what it's going to be like. Where we'll look at those, those remains and we'll look at the glorified state and we'll say, huh? Huh? How did that? It's just the miracle of Jesus. He illustrated it through nature to give you a little glimpse, but that doesn't even come close to fully explaining the splendor of the resurrection. So we can grieve, but not without hope. Secondly, Verse 15 says, we can anticipate the return of Christ. We can look forward to this because it's a reality. Verse 15 says, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Paul says, I'm telling you, Jesus said this. This isn't me coming up with this to help you feel better, to help you get through you know, difficult times. No, this is from a word from the Lord. The one who said, if you're not sure if you can believe me, just watch and see if I rise from the dead. <laughs> then you can know that you can believe every word. And that's exactly what he did. The word from the Lord says that we who are alive, who are left at the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. We're not going to be experiencing something that they won't be able to experience. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord. 
to address the Christians who had begun to believe that Christ's return would benefit those who were still alive, but not those who had died. Paul insists, oh no, no believer is going to miss out on this. When Jesus returns, those who had previously died will be reunited with their bodies, they'll be resurrected, and those who are alive when that happens will also experience that glorification of our bodies. We will all be changed. That's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says we will all be changed. Whether we've been buried and that will be resurrected or whether you're still alive and Jesus comes, you will immediately be changed. Just as the deceased, so will those who are still living. We will be changed. We'll be granted that apple tree experience change from the apple seed to the apple tree, and we will forever be with Jesus. And when Jesus comes at this time, don't think for a minute, Paul says, don't think for a minute, don't picture, here's this, here's this um, itinerant rabbi who didn't have a home wherewith to lay his head, Don't picture the meek and mild baby born and placed in a manger. No, that's how he came the first time. He says when he comes with a shout of command in the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. If you were to look in the book of Revelation and see the image that John was was enabled to have of this glorified Jesus returning, you would see something that you have hardly imagined Jesus to be, coming as the conquering king, coming as the one who's fully glorified, clothed with splendor and glory, Uh, riding on a horse, John said. I don't know if he'll literally be on a horse Maybe that was just John's image of saying he was huge and he was mighty and he was towering and he came with victory with all the saints with him. This will be a Jesus that will be hard for us to even imagine today. But isn't it interesting how the stories of cultures today reflect that same image? Think of those, those action movies that you've watched through the years. Maybe it's, maybe it's Milan, right, of, of, of a people that's being conquered and it looks like there's no hope and then suddenly this mass of mighty warriors comes rushing in and defeats the enemy. Or, or maybe you Marvel fans, Right? It's that, it's that scene with this infinity saga where this, this enemy of Thanos has been raging terror over all this area. And for, for 19 movies, there's been these Avengers that have been formed, right? And called and granted superpowers. And, and, but this battle, movie after movie, is this battle of... Your victory, no, you're getting defeated. No, a little bit, no, you're defeated. And right, there's hopeless. Movie after movie, it looks like we're overmatched. And then suddenly, Thor, the god of thunder, 
comes with the storm wrecker, right? That special supernatural axe, and he comes through, and, and Thanos has his head chopped off. And wow, isn't that incredible, right? All our stories, all our themes are, all our, are seemingly based on something. They're based on some drama that has been etched in the human heart that, it, that we make up these stories. We think we're original, we're not original. It's all the story of God's redemption that he's written in his word. And he's given us the picture of, yep, there will be seasons where it sure looks like evil is going to utterly destroy. It sure looks like humanity is going to destroy itself. How many mass shootings are we going to have? How many chemical warfare incidences are we going to have? How many of these natural disasters are we going to have? What is going to take place? And how, who's going to be the last human standing? That's what it feels like at times. And every once in a while, there's, maybe somebody comes with a, with a vaccine to say, hey, now we can prevent RSV. Right? That's the news this week. 85% of, of effective rate of this. Oh, maybe some of those, maybe the young or the old that are especially vulnerable, maybe that will spare them. And so it gives us a little hope, and then we see, oh, but then there's this other disease. Or there's this other consequence that comes from this vaccine and over-vaccining and all that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, I thought we were getting better. No, we're not. And then suddenly, with a cry of command, Jesus will return. And he will rescue all those who believed in him. And he, he will reign. And the new heaven and the new earth, heaven will come and will unite with earth. And we don't need a light, we have Jesus. We don't need a temple or a church because we have Jesus. Out of the throne will flow the rivers of water that will, feed the, that will water the nations. And there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more sadness because God is with us. And we can anticipate that. As believers in Jesus, yeah, we can, we can grieve even the things of this, of this life. It does hurt our hearts. But the reality is Jesus will be the victor. He will conquer. He does reign, regardless of what it looks like in the moment. And it's good to also know that nothing else is really going to satisfy. You know, it feels sometimes like, well, if I can just get that, that raise at work, that'll really help. And it might help some. But the bills will probably increase too. Some would think if I can just meet that special someone and can have that, that love of my life and that companion for the rest of my life, yeah, that'll help some, maybe. But you'll find that that person's not perfect too. And now you've got another aspect of, <laughs> of grief in life. Oh, and a lot of joy, for sure. A <laughs> lot of joy, my dear Nancy. Full of joy. But not fully satisfying, because only Jesus provides that. Right? All right, last point. Verse 18, because of the coming resurrection, we can comfort one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 18 says, therefore, because of this, 
encourage one another with these words or comfort one another in some versions. Idea is the same. Admits we can be terribly discouraged and it can be painful to lose a loved one. But it's interesting how Paul directs us to respond. He doesn't highlight the role of a, of a counselor or a therapist. He doesn't say, yeah, life is hard. It's really difficult. So find a good counselor, and that will really help you. He also doesn't say, you know what you need to do when you're really hurting? Go to your pastor, because that's where you'll find great comfort. Don't say that. Now, a good counselor and therapist and maybe a good pastor, if you can find one, you know, can be very helpful in your Christian life. Those are very good things to have. But it's just interesting that that's not the immediate thing Paul jumps to. In ask, answering the question, what happens to all the people that were grieving? How, are we gonna, how do we go on? Paul says, comfort one another. He points, he points us to one another. This reality that, that God has promised to be with you in times of suffering, and many times that being with you is expressed through the other believers that are around you. That there's other people that have experienced loss and they can help you. That there's people that love you and care for you and will be with you in times of of difficulty. This is the spiritual community that God desires all of us to have. A group of people who've, been, who've committed themselves to Jesus, people that have learned that nothing in this world gives them the security and the fulfillment and the hope like Jesus does. Have them come around you when it's your time to grieve. And when it's their time to grieve, you go around them. Because it's going to be each one of our turns. It's probably going to be somebody's turn this week. Maybe in a group this size, wouldn't you think that's probably going to be the case? And so it's the spiritual community that Paul says, this is where you find comfort. And so it, it kind of poses the question to us, have I engaged in that spiritual community? Do I have a group of Christ followers that I've committed myself to so that when they're suffering, I'm in relationship with them and I can help and care for them. And when it's my turn to suffer, we formed a relationship so it's a natural expression and care and comfort to me. The passage seems to assume that we're connected to spiritual family. Is that a correct assumption? us. It's great you're here. It's great we're here. It's a great place to be on a Sunday morning. Just make sure this isn't just a, a come in and leave. Make sure you're getting to know people around you. That's why we encourage people to join a life group, because there's a group of 8 to 15 people that you study the word together, you pray together, and so when something happens, it's just a natural community to find strength in. That's why we encourage even our students, to be meeting together frequently because students have various struggles and to know there's other believing students that are walking with them is a powerful thing. 
That's why I encourage you to join a ministry team. A Sunday morning experience at 9.30 is just pretty special to me. At 9.30, some of you don't know this, um, but just a circle of volunteers that get here to prepare for ministry. We meet for prayer, and it just becomes just that experience of, of family there where people can share burdens and celebrations, and, and they're united because they've committed to serving alongside of one another. So if, you, if you're not part of a life group, you're not part of a ministry team, if you haven't formed friends here, let's make that change. Because that's one of the things that we do, is comfort one another in our sorrow. Oh, we celebrate. We work hard. Yesterday was a great day. Thanks to so many people that served there. That was fun to do, right? Just watching you guys just shine Jesus to so many people and great spiritual conversations. We work hard too. But one of the things that we do, we comfort one another. Father, thank you for giving us the truth of the resurrection. We believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Lord, we get so caught up in a temporary life, in this, this present life, Lord, sometimes we, we almost forget that the better is coming. But Lord, may we live as followers of Jesus with that truth. And Lord, I pray, even as we wait on you now, as we think of these things, we've sung about a lot of things, we've celebrated communion and uh, your sacrificial atonement, we're thankful for that. We thought of the importance of community. And now, Lord, we just open our heart to you to say, Lord, what was it that you wanted me to hear today? So affirm that in our hearts as we wait on you. In Jesus' name, we Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.